Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Today on the show, we're going to start out by investigating a listener write-in. Later on, we'll hear some new music by Aoife O'Donovan. And we'll also check in with our missing co-host, Nate, to see how he's doing on his research about popular music from the 1920s and 30s. So every day, lots of people write into Switched on Pop to suggest songs or artists that they would like to hear on the show. And there are so many good suggestions. But this one person keeps writing us. In fact, over the past two months, He's written us, I think, like 30 times with the same idea. And so I figured we really ought to invite him on and allow him to have his piece. I have along here with me Alex Kappelman, one of the producers of the Narrative Music Podcast Pitch. I think there's only one way to greet you, Charlie. <laughs> What's that? Hey! <laughs> For the last two months, you have written us almost every other day with songs that say, hey. Do you want to just share a little bit about what's been bothering you that you just you had to have covered on Switch on Pop? Yeah, sure. So one day I was just kind of listening to a song. Um, I think it was um, Roar by Katy Perry. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of heard like a, like a, hey, you know, like this like, hey, that was like washed out with reverb. Huh. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a funny sound. That's That's cool that like she uses that like percussively. And and then I was listening to another song, and I heard that hey. And then I listened to another song, and then another song, and another song. It's like I hear it everywhere, and I want to know like what's going on. Like like where did it, like how did this how did how did it start? I have to say I'm kind of honored because on your show pitch, you do an amazing job diving deep into narrative stories about helping us to l listen more deeply. So I figured you might just take this on your own, but you've. Uh, employed us to do the research for you. Yeah, we're deep in uh, <laughs> we're we're deep in uh, research for our next season. So I figured I'd outsource this to you. <laughs> well, with this idea, I have to be honest. When you sent it to me, I couldn't figure out the nugget of what what is this hay thing, and so. I kind of did like the really obnoxious journalist thing and just consulted the dictionary. <laughs> I really hate when people do that, but it's the first place I went. 
And I actually think that it gives us a decent clue into how hey is being used in all these pop songs. <laughs> the dictionary, huh? Yeah, I'm sorry. I went there. Okay, here's the gist. The word hey comes from Middle English from about 1200. 1200, and, huh? That's like, that's way longer than I would have guessed. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. And um, uniquely, pretty much just in the U.S., it's used as a friendly greeting. Like, hey, Alex, how you doing? Obviously. The OED also tells us that hey is used to attract attention, to express surprise, interest, or they even say annoyance. <laughs> okay. Okay, good to know. So I consulted the dictionary. I listened to all 30 tracks, and I started to see this pattern emerge. In my research, I found that there are three reasons that artists are using hey as a musical element. And lucky you, Alex, I'm going to reveal them to you. So let's do it. Do you want to get into the first one? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm, dude, I'm so into this. Reason the first. It's, it's hailing the listener. It's actually just saying hello, right? So a song like Hey Jude is saying hello both to the character Jude and it also is opening with this idea of hey, hey, take a listen. Invite you into the song. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about the second one before. Yeah. Some of the more modern examples that you were sending along was, was first the Carly Rae Jepsen tune, I Really Like You. First thing you hear. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> exactly. Hey. I really wanna stop, just... Hey, with a little reverb and a little bit of delay. And this is really just, it's there to greet us into the song. Um, you had some other examples, though. Yeah, I had like a ridiculous amount of other examples. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the next one that I saw that is sort of doing the same thing, okay. similar to the, the Carly Rae Jepsen song, is Grimes' Venus Fly. Yeah, I love this song. Exactly, exactly. It's such a good track. Um, so similarly to the Carly Rae Jepsen song, the very first thing you hear is, hey, it's it's saying hello. It is literally greeting us into the song. One of the things you noted in your email, though, was that a lot of these hey's have this reverb tail. They're sort of washed and, and reverb and echo and delay, lots of effects going on. Mm -hmm. I think that Grimes is starting to use her hey for another effect, the, the second of the three reasons artists are using hey percussive effect where in fact the hey isn't really acting as a hello or a lyric it's really much more acting as a drum yeah okay i buy that i totally buy that i'm i'm, in, I'm into that so i sort of believe that in the world of offbeats you have a hierarchy of different hits yeah but so by by offbeat you mean the the two and the four the two and the four exactly so the you know the primary thing that you're used to hearing is a snare right you're boom boom to elevate and get even sort of more energy, sometimes you'll hear the rim of the snare, mm -hmm. uh, sort of a faster, harder hit. Um, also popular to build more energy are hand claps. Okay. And I kind of feel like the hey is the most energetic way of hitting that offbeat, hitting that two and four. Hey. Hey. Yeah, because it's kind of like it's it's a human voice, right? And it's like, and especially if you're saying hey, and it's like, you know, like the hey, like you just said, like it commands attention. Exactly. So there's a couple examples um, in, in modern music that I think is doing this. You sent me Ariana Grande's Break Free. Yeah, this is another song I love. Okay, I'm going to play it. Oh, that's a little bit of like a softer hey, right? It is a little bit of a softer hey, but here I think it's really acting still as that as that drum. Mm, okay. Well, one way you can think about it is 
would they actually have written the hey in the liner notes? Would it actually be a lyric of the song or is it really acting more like a drum? Uh, and I think here it's acting like a drum. Yeah, totally, totally. The other example from the list of songs that you sent along was uh, One Direction's Steal My Girl. Yeah, another song I love. I, I'm sorry, I like I love all of these songs pretty much. And Steal My Girl here is going to be doing something just a little bit different rather than throwing the snare hit, that hey, on the two and the four, it's landing right on the downbeat, the first beat of the measure. And it's doing that for dramatic effect to go from this very low dynamic to a much louder portion of the song. Let's take a listen to it. I love that track. I love that song so much, dude. It's got so much energy. And I think there you're hearing a lot more of that that hey as a way of grabbing energy and building the song. All right, cool. Two two in. So are we is the third one is the third one gonna get to like where this is why everyone's doing this like did max martin just like go into a studio one day and like say like (laughs) say like and now we will say hey well let's let's call this like 2a and what i want to do is actually a segment that we call classical masters where we dig into the past to figure out where this hey is coming from whoa whoa classical masters my favorite segment okay all right let's do it we're not going to go too classical. We're going to go back into the 50s and 60s. And we're not going to necessarily find the first example of using hey um, in popular music, but probably the best example that, that influenced the most artists. Is, is If you had to guess, where would the first example come from? Do you have any idea? Hold that thought for one okay. minute, because okay. we're going to okay. go way back in time in just a second. I think, though, that in terms of popular music, it really comes from the King of Soul, James Brown. Really? There's this great moment in the biopic Get On Up when one of his band members asks him, what's with all the haze? Mr. Brown, what's it mean when you lift your shoulders and go, ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so James Brown is famous for these vocal utterances that keep popping up throughout all of his super funky music. And he explains later on, just about a scene later in the film. What's this here? A snare, Mr. Brown. A snare what? A drum. Correct. What's this? A guitar. <laughs> no, it's not. Pee Wee, what's this? Drum, Mr. Brown. Now we're getting it. What's Maisie holding? A drum, Mr. Brown. Fellas, what's them shiny things y'all holding over there? Drums. Now we all got our drums. Hit it! <laughs> oh my god oh my god first of all that song is oh, so good uh but that's so interesting just everything is a drum everything is rhythmic everything's a drum i love that i love that every element of his music has got to have an essential rhythmic core and while james is frequently not playing an instrument what he's doing is he's asserting his vocal utterances as a form of rhythm emphasizing off beats down beats whatever needs emphasis Oh, that's so interesting because like I, I guess I kind of knew that somewhere in the back of my mind but it never really like came up and it's like oh yeah he's like as a vocalist he's doing like super rhythmic stuff like in a way that's adding to the rest of the super tight crazy 
James Brown rhythm. That's I never thought about that before. That's really cool. And maybe going just a little bit further back, I think that he's probably pulling from one of his idols, Little Richard. Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. And so Little Richard and, and James Brown are both pulling significantly from gospel traditions. They you know, both grew up in the church and are are singing a lot of those utterances that they might have heard a preacher say. Wait, whoa, whoa. We're going back into we're going back to church I did not expect that to go there. Yeah, so Little Richard was in a Pentecostal church. He was um, actually at one point as a kid chastised for shouting too loudly while he was singing. Really? And I think that this is um, sort of at its height in his song, Hey, 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 Hey. Oh my God. <laughs> that's literally, that's, that's, hey, 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 child. Ow! Oh, that is a beautiful scream. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I looked, I looked it up and there's, there's, I found over 30 songs just titled, hey, or hey, hey, or hey, 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 hey. Okay. Little Richards was the earliest that I found. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So you also asked about, well, how far back does this go? Where is the first instance of, the use of hey in music. Yeah. I think I can take us pretty far back to Shakespeare. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go there? Please. Oh my God. I did not expect that. In Much Ado About Nothing, there's this poem. The poem goes, Sigh no more, ladies, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever, one foot in sea and one on shore. To one thing constant never, then sigh not so, but let them go and be your blithe and bonny converting all your sounds of woe into hey, nani nani. First of all, this is crazy because I, like, the, my first, like, major acting thing was playing, like, Benedict uh, in, in Much Ado About Nothing. Actually, my first kiss ever <laughs> was during Much Ado About Nothing. I'm glad that this resonates. Um, but I have to ask you, do you know what hey, nani nani means? Uh, the, the, only thing that I, the only thing that it means to me is, like, from Robin Hood Men in Tights, where they're like, hey, nani nani and a ho, ho, ho. But I have no idea what hey, nani nani means. <laughs> And does it does it have to do with is it like is it kind of like uh, daddy mommy uh, sheet monster time <laughs> to quote to quote thirty rap? so frequently yes hey nani nani was used to cover up more lewd language but it actually is really a meaningless word that just alludes to traditional English folk music and that hey nani nani was a refrain used frequently kind of like using fa la 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 or something like that okay it's something which is rhythmic it has energy and it gives everybody to sing along to okay okay in fact using hey as a rhythmic element in folk songs has become such a trope recently that someone made a hilarious youtube video about a fake musician named connor redwood is supposedly the artist that says hey on all of these songs hi my name's connor redwood and i yell hey in songs what? And, uh, yelling, hey, it's my life. Oh my, how did you find this? You can hear my work in a number of different musicians' songs. Let's see, uh, The Lumineers. <laughs> hey! <laughs> and then he goes on and claims that he says, hey, for Of Monsters and Men. Also for Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. That was, first of all, that video is incredible. 
That's, this is hilarious. This is hilarious. Uh, second of all, I had no idea that there was a specific person that, you know, there was studio musicians who just sang, hey, like, thank you for showing me this. Thank you for showing me this and educating me. <laughs> Alex, you've been duped. No. Yes, yes, yes. This is clearly a spoof that this guy, Harris Alterman, made a fake video of a guy named Connor Redwood, a musician profile, who supposedly is the person who says, hey. And of course, it's a ridiculous joke. Right. How did, how did you find this? <laughs> uh, some deep internet searching. <laughs> I'm glad I outsourced my journalism to you. <laughs> so basically, the part of the reason why you're hearing hey everywhere is that it is becoming credibly cliche. Well, yeah. So, I, you know what? I, like, I, I actually kind of noticed that. Like, in listening to these songs, I would kind of, I would kind of notice that people are starting to kind of play with it. A little bit. So instead of just like the normal hey, oh, yeah. there would be like people switching the pitch and like, uh, you know, like doing it a little and a, like doing like weird things with it. Is that where is that where you're about to take us? You know, I think that is a perfect transition because I think the third reason why people use hey is simply to grab your attention. Ah. Going back to our dictionary definition, hey can be an interjection used as an exclamation point to grab someone's attention or, as the OED said, to actually annoy you. <laughs> I think they hit the nail on the head there with uh, some of these songs, I guess. So, so this, is, this is a way that musicians are basically saying, hey, check out this moment in the song. It's important. You need to pay attention. And that's how they're using hey here. Wait, so what moment exactly are you talking about? There's a couple of them. Let's go back to One Direction and listen to Perfect. So what do you notice about that hay? It transitions from one section to another. Exactly. The hay is actually landing on sort of this strange beat. It's landing on the four and. One and two and three and four and. Exactly. And, and, And so basically, just when we're about to go into the next section of the song, they say, hey, pay attention. Things are about to change. We're elevating the song. We're going to the chorus. Ah, okay. The other example, which uh, probably is uh, falls more in the capture your attention, potentially even annoy, is... Oh, tell me that's Bieber. Tell me this is Bieber. <laughs> Bieber's one of them. But I was I was actually thinking of Kanye West's Black Skinhead. Yeah, that one too. Oh, man, yes, yes. I'm glad you went there. This is a, an amazing track, uh, the first track off of his album, Yeezus. And as he's going into the chorus there, as you, as you sort of hinted, a manipulated version of Hey, almost these screams, these guttural cries. So follow me, you're good, it's about to go. I'm doing 500, I'm out of control. But there's nowhere to go. And there's no way to slow. If I... that's, that's my impression. <laughs> that is <laughs> that's a lot of like crazy manipulated haze. Exactly. And he's really just here to grab attention. Kanye likes to grab attention. Yeah. It's a big part of his persona. And <laughs> yeah. he does it not just in the, in, the, in the limelight, but also within his music. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm feeling you. Okay, so the last the last song that we need to go to is absolutely Justin Bieber. Yes. Uh, we have to we have to listen to Sorry. You gotta go and get angry at all of my honesty. You know I try, but I don't do too well with apologies. Yeah, that's I okay, I, I I like that hey. That's like that's like the calm hey. That's like that hey. But then he has later he has one later that's like <laughs> he does have one later on the song that is a little bit louder. But you know that there is no innocent one in this game for two. I go, I go, I go. 
<laughs> and I think the reason why this hay is there is is that same reason of trying to grab your attention because things are kind of quiet. But this is a dance hall song. This is a song which is going to bust out. And what he's trying to do is say, hey, pay attention. It's about to drop. You just got to give it another second. Yeah. I, I, okay. That's interesting. Okay. Right. He wants to sustain your attention. He doesn't want you to peace out, basically. Right, right. And he's being like, all right, all right. Like, you're getting the payoff. Like, and here we go. Here we go. Exactly. So three reasons that people are using hey, they're hailing the listener, pulling them in and saying hello, most prominently using it for percussive effect and um, also there to grab your attention and hold your attention in a moment of the song where it needs you to stick around. Yeah, man. Dude, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Like this is this is like very satisfying to like get like a full analysis of this little tiny thing that I've been seeing everywhere. And now I'm like, now I will actually pay even more attention when I like hear that going on and be like, okay, 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 Justin, I know it's about to drop. I know it's about to drop. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> now, can I ask you, like, do you think, I don't know if I'm allowed to turn yeah. the tables on you. Uh, it is your show. Sure. Um, but no, you, of course, please. Do you think that we've reached like the logical extent of where the hay can go? And like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's getting parody videos. It's, you know, Justin Bieber is manipulating it in a way that's kind of almost making fun of it. Like, where does hay go from here? Have we reached hay saturation? <laughs> yeah, have you reached hay saturation? It reminds me of actually your very first episode of your show Pitch that you and your partner Whitney Jones did on the Clear Mountain Pause. This idea that in pop music there are these extended pauses and that, that those originated somewhere. And in it, your um, in your interview, this woman Karen Glauber describes. Um, how oftentimes singers will put these sort of cheap things into the song to get participation, especially na-na-na's, hand claps, and other ways for artists to basically compel you to participate. If you're in the know, if you know exactly how the song goes, it's that anticipation that you know you're part of the end thing, you know the scream, you're just waiting for the climax of it. So it's spectacularly manipulative. I kind of feel like this is the same thing and that once the magic is uncovered, it's like, uh, I don't know if I want to say hey with you. Oh, okay. Exactly. So I don't know. I think maybe we're meeting hey saturation. If I were a songwriter, I might try to find a- another utterance to use. Oh, like what? Womp? <laughs> you gotta go and get angry at all of my promises. Womp. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my best suggestion. Cool, cool. I'll I'll just email maxmartin at gmail.com and see what he says. All right. Alex, so much fun having you on the show. Thank you for exploring the haze with me. Yeah, and thank you for buzz marketing my podcast completely unsolicited. <laughs> for sure. If you want to listen to all of these songs that say hey, we've posted a Spotify playlist on our website, switchedonpop.com. And also be sure to check out Pitch. It's really great. You can find episodes at pitchpodcast.org iTunes.com slash pitch and you can follow them on Twitter at here pitch and at Alex Kappelman. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. 
Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. There's so much great music that Nate and I listen to every day that doesn't make the top 40. Music that we just feel demands being broken down. So this week, we're going to try something new and introduce a segment called Off the Charts. For our first piece, I met up with songwriter Aoife O'Donovan backstage at Largo to talk about her new album and single about my favorite time of day. It's called In the Magic Hour. Hour. The magic yeah. hour. It means different things to different people, though, I will say. Yeah. What does it mean uh, to you? Well, to me, it was sort of trying to capture the time of day, sort of that kind of gloaming, dusky daylight, but yeah. the moon is out and the sun is not there anymore, but it's still, still totally daylight. Her album is inspired by childhood summers in Ireland, where the summer nights are long and the magic hour leaves you in this ambiguous in-between zone. In the song, she takes us through the magic hour, moving from light to dark. In the magic hour when the moon is low And the sky's the kind of blue that you think you know But you don't know So I want to know, like, where are we going to go from here, I know, right? it's, so, it's so tricky. It's like, is it going to go back to this or is it going to go somewhere different? Yeah. And that's the sort of wonderful thing about that in-between state of that time of day is you're in the day, you're in the night, and you don't right. know exactly. Right, right, and I think it's also like, I don't know, it's a nostalgic song to me. Yeah. Uh, and kind of the whole song is a, is a big sort of longing for childhood and longing for for that innocence and for that sort of belief in magic and belief in, in the unknown. This one time, it must have been like in maybe like 1994 or 1995, I, was in, I went to Ireland and I fell asleep. And you get there in the morning, you take an overnight flight, and I was yeah. probably 12 or something. And... I woke up, and then I woke up, and I, I had no idea what time it was or what day it was, because I looked outside, and it was like, it was n- kind of neither day nor night, and I, I it was probably, you know, 9 p.m., Yeah. and I had taken this long nap, and I woke up, and I was like, is it the next day? Is it morning? Is it 7 a.m.? Is it, <laughs> and I really remember feeling that and being like running downstairs, and, being, and they were having like a birthday party. It was my cousin's birthday, and it was mm. totally nighttime. <laughs> but it was still light out. You know, it was this yeah. weird, very weird thing, vivid memories. She takes us back to those Ireland summers in the second verse, where she sings about childhood fairy tales, and the music takes a turn in harmony and tone. Where the first verse was upbeat and major, she ends her second verse firmly in a nostalgic minor chord, like she's playing that deep, dark blue far off in the night sky. And then she continues to further work out this metaphor in the chorus. Oh, 
She's taken us from childhood mirth and games into the imagined end of her life. And the chorus intentionally drags here. There are extra measures actually inserted into the song when she sings, weigh my body down with sticks and stones. These extra measures pull and stretch the music as if pulling us down deep into the ocean. Thematically, I'm I saying, singing, oh, when I go, would you throw my bones to the fish? It's sort of like that, like you die, you live your whole life, it's a beautiful life, and then you die and you're buried in a graveyard. And I've never wanted to be buried in a graveyard. I've always wanted to be thrown into the ocean, so, which I know is illegal. Um, but I'm hoping somebody will, somebody will sort of you know, honor my final wish in 70 years when I die. Um, well, not the 103, so that will be, hopefully I'll make it that way. That's long. a great life. Yeah, but I've, I've always wanted to be thrown into the water. So it's sort of, it kind of, you go there in that chorus, and, you, and I don't know if people, you know, death is a lonely bride. It's like you're, you're sort of getting married to the ocean. You're, you're kind of meeting, meeting the end that way. And then the song closes out by taking us back to the beginning, mimicking her opening lyrics, but this time with a different kind of view. And the song progresses into sort of a recap of the first idea, like in the magic hour when the moonlight gleams. Mm-hmm. And the sky's the kind of gray that you've never seen until you've seen it. Like, it's a, this this very specific color of gray. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of being children and running down to the, the bank, like this 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 beautiful beach that we used to be on as kids. And and then saying, like, in that hour, if you listen hard, it's a magic hour. You know, you'll hear the voice, like, you know, the voice of this. Like, you'll hear my granddaddy singing far away like an evening star. And then that's, I sort of end the verses with saying, I wish I was young again. I wish I was young again. It's, it's funny, somebody said to me, they're like, why did you write that? You're still young. And I was like, well, I, the point is not like that I'm old. The point is that it's like you wishing that you were seven, you yeah. know, like five, eight. It's like you have you really wanting to be a child. Just as the magic hour is this beautiful in-between moment with all hues of light, the song is transient and takes us from light to dark, from youth to old age. And the music mimics this passing with subtle shifts of minor and major and lyrical changes from blue sky to gray. You can find In the Magic Hour at Aoife's website, aoifeodonovan.com. That's Aoife with the Irish spelling, A-O-I-F-E. You can also find her album pretty much anywhere where you get your music. The album is super moving. I really recommend checking it out. So now's the time that we check in with our co-host on hiatus to take our final trip in the time machine to listen to 20s and 30s jazz. Nate, you ready to go? Heidi ho, Charlie. Let's do it. Let's go back into the time machine in New York City, go up into Harlem and check out some music together. Charlie, tonight we are venturing back up to Harlem to the Cotton Club, the jewel of Harlem's nightlife. We've been there a couple times. We have. I mean, Cotton Club is a fascinating place because at once it has the hottest stars and also the most reprehensible door policy that we talked about. They uh, do not let any clientele of color in the door, even though, again, this is a club in the heart of Harlem featuring star black entertainers. Man, it's such a complicated history that you're dealing with. So, so, so take me there. What are, we, uh, what are we listening to? Well, we're here to listen to a show composed by Harold Arlen and his lyricist partner, 
Ted Kohler. At, at this time in the early 1930s, we don't know much about this character. Maybe we know that his real name is Hyman Arluck and that he was the son of a cantor from Buffalo, New York. And maybe we've heard the big hit that propelled them into the Cotton Club, a little song called Get Happy. Are you familiar with Get Happy, Charlie? I can't say I know this track. It's a really good one. Nice. It's not until the other end of this decade in 1939 that Harold Arlen will finally become a household name as a result of composing the score for The Wizard of Oz. Yes, the Wizard of Oz. It's uh, responsible for what some call the greatest song in American history. Over the rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow, yeah. Oh, definitely. But when we find him at the Cotton Club in the early 1930s, we are not hearing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We are not hearing If I Only Had a Brain. We are not hearing... What's another song from The Wizard of Oz, Charlie? (laughs) Five. Uh, Four, three, two, one. All I've got is the Yellow Brick Road one. That's that's all I got. That's that's a (laughs) classic. I'm a a one-trick pony. No, no, you got it, you got it. The point is we're not hearing golden age Hollywood songs. Harold Arlen, in his four-year tenure at the Cotton Club, is responsible for some of the hottest, sexiest jazz songs of the early 1930s. Songs like Stormy Weather. Don't know why there's no sun up in the sky. Storm. And one of my personal favorite songs of all time. This is a, a version later sung by Frank Sinatra. I've got the world on a string. I love that track. I sing that song. Yeah, it's a good one, right? I got the world on a string. There you go. Sitting on a rainbow. Ooh, you got you can you got your old blue eyes is pretty good, Charlie. That was very <laughs> oh, uh, that was very convincing. My what a world! What a life I'm in love. In the early 1930s, Harold Arlen is the staff songwriter at the Cotton Club, and he's writing dirty, low-down, hot jazz numbers. Uh, in my research, what I'm interested in, though, like with the other musicians we've profiled, Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, I'm interested in how Arlen simultaneously projects two different visions of Harlem and, as a result, two different visions of, uh, of, of black culture and black identity. Uh, we've seen that Harlem attracts tourists by promoting itself as the exotic, dangerous, uh, lurid nightlife capital of the world. At the same time, Harlem is this incredibly cultural, uh, political, uh, new, new forms of, of black consciousness are constantly emerging. Harlem is, uh, what, what one writer called the city of refuge. So these two competing visions of Harlem you can hear in Arlen's music. Great. So what's the track? So we can start with the first vision of Harlem in a song like Primitive Prima Donna. Just in case that you don't know, I'm the prima donna of the show. But if wishing could make it so, I wouldn't be here. That's what it is. 
It's the jungle that's in my soul I'm a primitive prima donna I'm supposed to be refined They're clearly toying with, as you said, the the sort of uh, primitivist narrative of jazz while also asserting how sophisticated and uh, and complex it is at the same time. Yeah, this is like just a a classic trope of the of the era. You know, the the African-American female singer is supposed to be refined, but she can't fight the jungle that's in her soul, you know. It was it was understood that the like primal essence of of black Americans was uh, bound to come out sooner or later. Uh, so this song definitely reinforces those notions. And you can imagine the the distaste that uh, a singer having to perform this at the Cotton Club for an audience of entirely white patrons would feel. I mean, it's just ugh, it's not it's disgusting. It really is. And yet, that represents one side of of Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler's songwriting. And then on the other, you know, in a a show just a year later at the Cotton Club, you could hear a song by them like Raisin' the Rent. Good luck has cost me, bad luck has forced me, down to my last one cent. I'm right in the middle of solving that riddle known as Raising the Rent. Still beg or borrow, got till tomorrow. Landlord's a mean old gent. It's come to a showdown, and he wants to low down if I'm raising my rent. Okay, this is a super modern song. This is like gentrification in Harlem today. <laughs> yeah, it re- I, I didn't make that connection, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is could not be more different than prim- the primitive prima donna song that we just heard. I mean, this is like kind of a ripped from the headlines of Harlem life song. Yeah. People in Harlem were having a really hard time making rent. Uh, one study showed that they might have actually paid as much of a, as a 50% markup as the rest of the city. Oh, my gosh. Just because, frankly, landlords could get away with it. There wasn't a lot of other options for black people to live in New York City at that time. That's so criminal. They kind of had to pay. Um And there was a certain mystique, actually, that grew around this because what developed was this phenomenon known as the rent party where people would basically throw these massive, like, night-long parties in their houses uh, and charge money at the door and basically make their rent for the month. Wow. Um, but, But these parties were legendary. I mean, live music, great food, dancing till the early mornings. I mean... You know, this is a side of Harlem that people going to the Cotton Club uh, wouldn't necessarily be able to access. But in a way, they're still learning about it and they're still discovering it. Like, again, a really real and present slice of Harlem life uh, in this very not real, surreal space of the Cotton Club. That's oh, wow. So so Arlen's definitely pulling from both sides of, of the history of Harlem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard to say that he and Ted Kohler were simply capitalizing on what you rightly called the sort of primitivist myth of Harlem. Um, they were they were really painting the whole picture of what Harlem was like in the 20s and 30s. And what's remarkable is that these songs have had a long afterlife. Not those songs necessarily, 
But take a song like Stormy Weather. Yeah. This was one of the most popular songs of the next few decades. Uh, since it was debuted in 1933 at the Cotton Club, it became not only an, a, a nationally popular song, but a song especially popular within Harlem. So a song written by a pair of white Jewish songwriters uh, sort of was reappropriated by jazz musicians, by blues singers, by, in one case, I found an account of a guy selling fish in the street and using the lyrics of Stormy Weather, except <laughs> replacing it with, like, I've got mackerel. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so this is a, this is a moment that's, that's kind of exciting to me because uh, it's the vector of appropriation is moving in the opposite direction that you usually encounter during this time where, you know, white musicians are appropriating black style. Uh, here it's slightly, I guess it's, if, if you trace the whole thing, it would be uh, the white songwriter Harold Arlen appropriating uh, African-American jazz and blues to write a song, which then in turn uh, becomes reappropriated by the African-American community and, and changed into all these these new connotations. Fascinating. That seems like a very equal and productive site of exchange, which, uh, you know, f- to happen in 1933 uh, in Jim Crow America is, is is not common. No. Yeah, I'm looking at some, some common renditions. You have Louis Armstrong, Oscar Peterson, Etta James, Billie Holiday. It's a testament to, to how... Uh, how firmly a part of like the musical firmament this a song like Stormy Weather has become. Is there a particular version that we should listen to? Oh, great, uh, great question. It couldn't hurt to go with the original Ethel Waters. I mean, if you want to hear what, what it was really like back then, this is it. Might not be the best, but it's right from the source. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Since my man and I ain't together Keeps raining all the time Charlie, let me say thank you so much for, uh, accompanying me up to uh, Harlem of the 20s and 30s, taking the time machine with me, going up to the Cotton Club, Connie's Inn, and Small's Paradise, and listening to the astonishing music of Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, Harold Arlen, and others. Uh, This has been really fun and and just a a real treat for me. Oh, it's been astounding. I feel like I've learned a lot. Mm. Different sounds, different kinds of music are always informed by place and intersections between cultures and can't be defined simply by one or two sounds or one or two ideas, that it's complex, it's it's, it's complete in the whole history of, of a place, people, and so on. Wow, that was, that was good. I'm glad we recorded that because I'm going to steal that, transcribe it, and make it the uh, epilogue of my, <laughs> of my thesis. So, <laughs> Cheers, Charlie. You're welcome. And the most important thing I learned is that I love going out to see music with you. And we got to keep doing this. Absolutely. To be continued. Really excited to have you back on the show in a couple of weeks. All the time. Keeps raining all the time. Today's episode was produced by me, Charlie Harding, and by my co-host, Nate Sloan. 
We want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Alex Kaplman, who produces the podcast Pitch, which is a narrative show that goes deep into the world of music. It's really extraordinary. Check it out at pitchpodcast.org. And if you exhaust the entire catalog of Pitch, you can find more Switched On Pop episodes on our website, switchedonpop.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at switchedonpop. And sorry to beg for it, but we really love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes. And come back in two weeks because we have, I think, one of our best episodes yet. We're talking to one of the songwriters of one of last year's biggest songs. I can't give it away, but I promise it's not to miss. Until then, thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.